Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. Hello, guys. It's MMA fighter Chael Sonnen. Check out my podcast, You're Welcome, with Chael Sonnen every Wednesday and Friday right here at Podcast One. We cover the latest in mixed martial arts and everything else going on in the world of sport. Listen free to You're Welcome with Chael Sonnen, exclusively available on Apple Podcasts, at podcastone.com, and on the Podcast One app. If you love the show, share it with a friend and leave us a rating and review. And welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Uh, as Adam would say, blah, 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 blah. Remember all the stuff. Check out drdrew.com. Check out the, uh, the, the, uh, the, I guess if we call it a monologue, we're doing, well, the, uh, what should we call the opiate uh, series? Anyway, you got to check that out. We are doing the, the definitive story on opiates, how we got here. Right now, it's my privilege to welcome the program. Dr. Ernst von Schwartz, he is a professor of medicine at Cedar, Cedar Sinai here in Los Angeles, also a clinical professor at the Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA, director of cardiology and director of the Heart Institute, Southern California Hospital in Los Angeles, director and president of the Pacific Heart Medical Group in Marietta, CEO of Schwartz Medical Institute of California, and mostly we're here to talk about stem cells, right, Dr. von Schwartz? Yes, thanks, Dr. Drew. Uh, absolutely, yeah. We use stem cells now. Not really as a standard regimen, but more and more people ask about it. And in my opinion, stem cell therapy will be the medicine of the future. Okay, so I'm going to back away and build back towards that. So um, your training is in cardiology generally. You're not you're an interventional cardiologist. You're just – I mean, do you have a particular area of cardiology you were trained in? Yes, I'm, I'm an internist, board certified. I'm a board certified cardiologist. I'm an interventional cardiologist. And so you I'm did all that. And I'm a board certified transplant cardiologist. Okay. So all, the mul- multiple areas of expertise. Uh, and you're – I hear an accent. Where is that from? Texas. Texas? Okay, good. You don't believe me, I guess. I may be over no, there, actually, there too. I, I lived in Texas for three years, but it's from Germany. Germany. Originally. And how long have you been here? Well, I, I was here 17 years ago as a research fellow at the University of Southern California. Mm-hmm. Then I went back to Germany, um, worked in different universities all over the world, and then came back 12 years ago I, to I, Los I, Angeles. I ask that because I'm wondering if your experience over there informed or gave you sort of the freedom to think more liberally about stem cells, stem cell applications. Well, that is right. Uh, we started actually initial mice and rat studies using, um, at that time, embryonic cells um, in Germany. And then I came to the U.S., uh, to USC, and we did further studies using embryonic cells to try to repair damaged heart muscle in rats. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were over at, you're at Cedars now, too? Well, I'm an attending cardiologist yeah. at Cedars. You know Cedars, my, my yes. buddy P.K. Shaw over there. Very well. I've known him for since I was a medical student. Oh, really? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Good, I just saw him yesterday. Good. Yeah. Please say hello if you see him I will. soon Thank again. You. A great guy. Um, so I've always never understood. So we're, again, we're, we've got to get our terminology straight. When we say stem cells, there's different kinds of stem cells. You've talked about embryonic cells. There's pluripotent, pluripotent stem cells. There's stem cells from different cell lines. When, we say, when you're talking about cardiac stem cells, are we talking about pluripotent, omnipotent, cardiac well, stem cells? Well, all of the above, yeah. more or less. So, um, as you know, probably the initial studies which were done especially for cardiac patients, mm-hmm. meaning patients in particular with heart failure or with heart attacks, 
used uh, different kinds of stem cells initially, especially bone marrow-derived mesenchymal stem cells. Other studies have used adipose-derived stem cells. We are nowadays using umbilical cord stem cells because they have additional features um, which are probably much more potent for future therapeutic use. Now, I, I get very confused about the different types of stem cells, uh, whom they're brought in from, and how these cells, why a stem cell would go to a damaged area like the heart. Uh, what, how do you direct that and, and how do you get it to do what you want it to do? I mean, I'm fascinated. I mean, you're, I, I suspect you're right that particularly in things like a heart attack where there's heart muscle damage or congestive heart failure where there's global muscle damage, replacing the muscle is sort of the grail. That's the, that's the ultimate goal. How do you get them to go to the heart and start to f- replace? I, I don't get that biology. Well, that's a very good question, of course, and that is actually unanswered. So um, keep in mind that even though we use stem cells almost on a daily basis outside clinical studies to treat patients nowadays, if they wish to do so, it is not an, it's not a recommended procedure because there's lots of unanswered questions. And one of the main questions which is unanswered um, till today is basically which type of stem cells uh, are the best one for which kind of damage, which kind of organ damage. There is no such thing as one fits all, meaning what uh, helps the brain might not help the heart and vice versa. The second unanswered question is, of course, the, the route of administration. So even though we use intravenous applications frequently, and there's tons of studies which I could quote you here, which showed in animal models initially and recently also in humans that if you give intravenous stem cells to patients, for example, after a heart attack, that there's probably certain anti-inflammatory effects. Which okay, well, that's well documented. That's the anti-inflammatory effects well Absolutely. documented. There's no debate about that any longer, right? That, that's yeah. correct. The, the question whether or not stem cells can really regenerate damaged tissue, meaning yeah, in the heart, replace. whether they go into uh, scar tissue and create cardiomyocytes, meaning heart muscle cells which are functionally active and contract like the original and, heart and inter- muscle cells. And integrate into the whole system of, a, of our existing heart. Well, they, they do integrate. We did early studies uh, 15 years ago in animal models where we um, used stem cells, injected them basically in host animals after heart attacks. Did you inject it into the muscle tissue or did you do it intravenously again? We, we did both routes. Yeah. And at that time, what we did, for example, we used male Cardiomyos from for males, um, which have a Y chromosome, Uh and injected them in female host animals. So, if you want to find the cells, you have to look for the Y chromosome. Got it. it. Did you label it or something? We labeled them with fluorescent, basically with uh, uh, light absorbing materials, so that after six months, we found those cells embedded in cardiac tissue. Did you find them anywhere else? No, we in, in the first studies we we went directly into the heart muscle you injected tissue. Into the muscle. We injected directly in uh. the muscle with needles, and we could demonstrate, and that has been f- published several years ago, that those cells are embedded in the host tissue and that they do survive. It, it occurs to me that there's uh, procedural antecedents to do this in large mammals, maybe humans. 
with you know the way we do electrical chem- electrical stuff these days, we put wires in, we burn stuff, we inject stuff, we put wires in. Why not put a little bit of uh, stem cell in there? We do that sometimes and see what happens. Well, that, that's exactly <laughs> where we are going, more or less. Again, let let, let me step one 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 step back. Yeah. Um, again, th- there's a lot of myth and and unknown factors about stem cell therapy, yeah. and oh, I'm not yeah. really sitting here to to say, oh, uh, what we do is is the non plus ultra treatment. Um, I think there's no question that everybody who uh, deals scientifically with stem cells and has done stem cell research believes in the potential effects of stem cells with regard to repair mechanisms, with regard to the creation of new blood vessels, which we call angiogenesis, Mm -hmm. and that has been demonstrated in animals as well as in humans um, in several studies. Um, Whether or not really the cells do replace that tissue and create new functional tissue, that's controversially discussed. We think more and more that the positive effects we see nowadays in the studies, for example, in patients with heart failure, might be caused by what we call pyrocrine effects, which leads to basically an um, uh, secretion of certain uh, substances, cytokines, uh, chemoattractant substances, which are anti-inflammatory, which are possibly regenerative, and which are definitely angiogenetic. I think the orthopedists have sort of commanded that space a little bit, right? They're using stem cells to inject in joints and soft tissue for anti-inflammatory activity. Absolutely. I mean, everybody who is in the stem cell business more or less has seen those uh, videos of a dog who can't walk and um, because of severe arthritis in the hip and then after stem cell injection, those dogs jump up and down the stairs. Right. The fantasy that the public gets though is, oh, this replaced the, you know, they replaced his joint or the stem cells went in and magically, you know, replaced all the damaged tissue. That's when I get, that's when I get a squinty. That's when I get skeptical. That doesn't make sense. Completely agree with you. And and one thing, uh, note of caution always is of course, stem cells do not cure any disease. We are not there yet. Yeah. We, we might go there in 20, maybe 15 years from now. But if uh, patients ask me, I mean, if I have Alzheimer's disease, can stem cells cure that? Absolutely not. There is no, yeah. no evidence. No. Uh, however, what we want to create is basically improvement of symptoms, often combined with an improvement of quality of life. And yeah. it's just amazing from many studies, but also from our own anecdotal experience how much patients do improve, whether it's with joint injections, as you just mentioned, for arthritis pain, whether it's chronic other pain symptoms, or as we mentioned initially, for heart failure patients. And then you use it in cardiac transplant as well. Well, uh, I'm a transplant cardiologist, so I deal with heart transplant patients on a daily basis. And we have, in fact, treated a couple of patients with end-stage, advanced stages of heart failure who were prone to be listed for a heart transplant with stem cells, but patients might not have wanted to go that route yet. And um, I recall two patients within the last two years who have been actually did not need to go on the transplant list because they've just felt significantly better. If we look at the functional parameters, like the, the, everybody the strengths that, of the everybody heart. Everybody that gets stem cell implants, any, whether it's ortho yeah. or back, they all report that same thing. I just feel better. Absolutely. I, 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 that to me, that, I don't think we've fully explained that yet. Well, we haven't. And there's another large area of patients and, and uh, very, very promising data is for erectile dysfunction. Uh. So we inject directly in the penis huh. um, with uh, uh, 
enormous success stories individually. So that's all anecdotal. It's not really yet totally analyzed. But if you look at some of that, yeah, if you look in the literature, I mean, there are studies showing that different uh, types of stem cells do improve erectile function in, in men with impotence. And these effects are most likely caused by angiogenesis, meaning the buildup of endothelial cells, which improve the endothelial function of the vasculature and the penis. So they're the coiled, they're, those arteries have names that uncoil during erection are just functioning better. That's quite correct. Literally. Yeah. Uh, it, it seems to me that there really are two, I don't know, there's sort of two big mysteries for me. One is exactly what we're talking about, why people feel so much better. It doesn't, it doesn't It's above and beyond the pain control. I, I'm convinced of it. And, and I don't know what it is. Maybe it's some, you know, centrally acting something that, you know, that's released with, with the anti-inflammatory cytokines and whatnot. Maybe there's some sort of neurochemical reaction that makes them affectively brighter. I don't know. Uh, but the other thing is it seems to me until you can really figure out how cell membranes communicate with one another in such a way as to determine specialization of this, the pluripotent cell, if you figure out wh- how cells tell each other what to do, you got it. It's done, right? Absolutely. And, and that, that sort of – is there active research in that area and what does that look like now? Well, of course. I mean, uh, if you if you go on PubMed, yeah. you know very well what yeah. that is, which oh, yeah. is the NIH website for um, Medline and Index Medicus and other scientific published studies. And you type in stem cells um, for therapy, for example, you find approximately ten thousand hits. Yeah, yeah. If you look at those, uh, probably eighty percent of those published studies are animal or cultural studies, so not human studies. Uh And a large proportion are just review articles where people comment on the potential use in humans. But you're absolutely right. There still has to be a lot of basic research to be done before stem cells can be recommended for anyone. Yeah, we're going to figure it out. I just feel like we're going to – for the average person listening, so you end up – you start with these cells that have the potential to be essentially any cell in the human body. And the mystery of – you know, biology and development is how these cells, this one cell or series of cells develops into all the amazing different kinds of cells we have in our body. And it's essentially, correct me if I'm wrong, this is my basic biology understanding. It happens because of adjacent cells telling the cell next to it what to do, right? That's exactly what it is. So often we see in theory, but also in practice that if you have an acute injury, whether it's a heart attack, a stroke, or you hit your knee and and have acute pain, this uh, acute injury uh, poses as an attractant for certain substances in the blood. So um, from our own body's nature, basically, stem cells are uh, attracted by damage in in, in the body. Right. So if not you, that. if you have any, but any they're not pluripotent stem cells. They're more like well, inflammatory stem cells. Right? Absolutely. That's yeah. the stem cells we have. And yeah. since a couple of years, we know also that even the heart has endogenous, if you wish, stem cells. In, um, in the muscle. In the muscle, yeah. um, which are somewhat attracted by an acute injury of the heart. So they try to repair. However, as we all know, those repair mechanisms are insufficient. They cannot prevent oftentimes significant damage to the heart. 
Hey, I want to tell you about Falling with Wings by Diana De La Garza. It's a mother's story. Before she was mother to global superstar Demi Lovato, Diana De La Garza was just Diana Hart. And Diana tells her story from the very beginning in this complete and affecting memoir. It's relatable. It's about overcoming challenges. A former Dallas Cowboy cheerleader and inspiring country music star and a perfectionist who wrestled with her body image. She also coped with problematic husband and her own story of addiction. It's an important story. Listen to it. Read it. It's a mother who is there for it all. It's an inspiring read. Tremendous strength, love, and faith. Diana's story offers a unique perspective and encourages families everywhere to keep on believing. And when you have a relatable source, you have somebody who's been through it and gets on the other side of it, it's important to understand it. It's important to experience it. Even if you don't have these struggles, you learn about the human experience. And if you do, I encourage you to read because the more you know about this condition, the more lucky you are to have success. You'll see your story in hers. Again, start reading now. Available anywhere books are sold. Soothe is an on-demand massage service that lets you experience a relaxing massage in the comfort of your own home, office, or hotel. Wherever you are, they come to you. It's crazy. We've been using them for years. My wife and I book right from your phone or on the web or the Soothe app. Connects you with one of their hand-selected, highly skilled massage therapists in a little as an hour. I'm telling you, I looked in these guys quite some time ago. That's why we've been using them. They are a high-quality group of therapists. Massage therapists. $25 off your first massage. Right now, if you use the code Drew, D-R-E-W, now obviously it is a stressful time and we all store that in our body. Well, book your Soothe Massage as early as 8 a.m. or as late as midnight. Choose the type of massage you want, the gender of your therapist, the date and time. In as little as one hour, a vetted Soothe therapist will arrive with everything you need to relax. It includes the massage table, the music, everything, oil. It's all in one stop and they come to you. Soothe offers four massage types, including Swedish, deep tissue, sports, and even prenatal. They even offer couples massages, so check that out. It's available in over 55 countries across the U.S., U.K., Canada, and even Australia, so you can relax anytime, even when you're traveling. Soothe now has an exclusive offer to our listeners. As I said, $25 off your first massage if you use the code DREW, D-R-E-W. Download Soothe, S-O-O-T-H-E, and enter the code DREW, and you'll get $25 off your first massage. This is a serious deal. I'm telling you, you will not be disappointed. I promise. Soothe. Spa quality, massage anytime, anywhere that soothe. So that's they, a whole other area of research is with taking the stem cells that are already sitting there and make them more productive or whatever, make them more effective. Absolutely. Right? And, and several people are huh. working also in the labs. How can we stimulate, mediate, and... Uh, potentiate our own stem cells. And one of the theories is even if we give stem cells from the outside intravenously yeah. from, from donors, umbilical cord stem else. cells, for yeah. example, um, that those uh, IV injections or infusions might attract the endogenous stem cells. And that's one of the hypothetical explanations why the effects are often long-lasting. So it's not something you need to do every week again. We see significant improvements of functioning uh, in patients even after a year after stem cells. But nobody knows, I mean, how why? long does it really last? Yeah, and, really. And why and how does it work? And do we have to repeat it after six months, after two years? That's completely unknown. But you think, the, I mean, everyone sort of feels like it's the future, but they don't really know how it's going to be the future, right? Exactly how. I mean, keep in mind, there's a lot of research ongoing, for example, to cre- to create new organs. Yeah. Uh, the, for example, in the heart, the whole heart engineering 
um, concept is an idea where you basically create thin scaffolds like mashes, which you um, uh, uh, fill up with different stem cells, if you wish. I, and I know you, some researchers are even using leaves as, as the scaffolding for that because it's yeah. set up like a vascular system. And you patch them on the damaged yeah. tissue in the heart, for example, yeah. with the idea that those cells can invade the damaged tissue and then replace and regenerate. Yeah. Again, that's maybe theory, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, uh, a lot of... Uh, uh, very reputable people are working on that very hard in the laboratory, and it looks very promising. So um, I'm convinced in a, in a couple of years we might have um, alternatives to whole organ transplantation if mm. we can regenerate parts of damaged organs. My um, sort of uh, hope and, and at the same time warning to the public, anyone listening, is th- this, you know, you think you understand what stem cells are and do. I hope this podcast gives you a sense of how complicated the biology actually is. And the people you should be listening to are not – there are a lot of snake oil salesmen out there using stem cells as sort of their their, their, their headline, their marquee. Absolutely. You need somebody like Dr. Von Schwartz who has you know really you've got essentially three board certifications, four, four board certifications. And that's the level of training I would want in somebody who's telling you the application of stem cells because it's still a – very obscure, obscure biology. And, and, we're just, and we're just, you and I are just having the very superficial conversation about right, this. Right. It gets deeper and deeper and deeper, I'm sure. I mean, th- there's other things, of course, to, to keep in mind. Um, there's potential side effects. So we have analyzed a couple of years ago all studies which were published um, using stem cells uh, for heart diseases, for example. And uh, some stem cell injections um, induced arrhythmias, irregularities of the heart. Um, none of the patients died after stem cell injections. However, I makes mean, there's certain things you have to keep in mind. Well, it makes the, sense. The, That's the, why we worry about it integrating with the whole of the heart. These are these are electrochemically active tissue, and they can start discharging spontaneously. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. The, the other issue which comes up more and more now is, of course, what about the possible antigenicity, meaning um, if we use foreign cells, so allergenic versus autologous cells, mm-hmm. so from foreign um, Somebody uh, else's. donors, yeah. from, from someone else. Not your own. For example, umbilical cord cells, mm-hmm. or we use a lot of placenta-derived stem cells, which are very rich in, in growth factors and other substances. Um, as you can imagine, the baby needs all those substances, of course, to grow, so why not using them for humans for certain diseases? But if we use them, there's always a theoretical risk that like if you give a blood product that those foreign bodies can induce antibodies mm-hmm. in the host, mm-hmm. in the recipient, basically. Um, and most physicians um, who use stem cells on a purely commercial base out there don't really um, know much about those potential antigenicity effects. And Honestly, um, it, it doesn't matter for many people because it doesn't matter much for many people out there whether the patient who receives stem cells today intravenously might need a heart or kidney transplant in five or ten years. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we have to deal with this on a daily basis, so we are very, very careful um, which kind of cells we would use for which patient, and we have certain methods developed where we try to treat those cells up front so that they don't have a significant antigenicity, meaning they they don't act like foreign bodies in the recipient and don't create antibodies. You wash off all the 
Well, we wash cell, cell proteins. We so wash off, protein. and we, um, in simple words, we poke the membranes basically to uh, try to avoid the induction of uh, HLA antibodies in the recipient. Do you, do you ever evoke a host a graft versus host disease? Well, we have never seen it, never um, seen it. and. Uh, I was in contact with some researchers from the UK just recently because that that question comes up all the time now. Those are pretty awful. Uh, yeah, of course, yeah. especially in patients who are already immunosuppressed. Well, I was going to say, if you're it's a transplant patient, you may be suppressing any of that, right? Because they're already getting all the medication to suppress that kind of thing. Right. On the other hand, if you, you give some, some foreign substances to someone through. who's immunosuppressed, yeah. of course, there's a higher risk of something like that, anti Ugh. antibody uh, uh, production and possibly rejection. Ugh. We haven't seen that in the clinical scenario, but this is definitely something which also requires further um, intensive investigation. And that's why I'm, I'm always a little reluctant to recommend stem cells for everybody. I mean, it is not a recommended treatment for everybody, and there's too many, or there's a lot of unanswered questions on the other hand, of course, like I said earlier, we have seen enormous anecdotal results with improvements of functioning, of symptoms, of pain in particular, and, and other improvements. Pain in particular? Absolutely, yeah. Chest pain? Any kind of pain. I, yeah, I can, something's going on in the brain on that one. Well, I mean, uh, again, we don't know exactly what the direct effects mm. are, but as we mentioned earlier, the anti-inflammatory paracrine effects might play a major role mm -hmm. here. We had uh, Jeez, this may be this may have psychiatric applications someday. Uh, might just, be just thinking they're be. they're not thinking that way, but they should. It's interesting. Absolutely. I mean, th there are studies, actually, you, you know that better than I do. I'm not a I'm an, internist, I'm an internist, but I spend a lot of time in a psychiatric hospital. But, I mean, in, in autism, for example, people mm -hmm. have uh, done stem cell injections with some clinical results. I can't really comment on those because yeah. it's not so Again, my it's hard field. to know what it is they're seeing. But exactly. Because yeah, I, yeah. I don't I – I, to me, it just seems like the very last thing we're going to see in our understanding of stem cells is the, a rewiring. That That's too – it's hard enough just to get a you know a, a liver cell to influence another liver cell to turn into a liver cell to actually influence a brain a cell to turn into a brain cell and then wire appropriately. That to me seems other next order. Other right. I mean, you mentioned liver. That's a good example. Actually, if if you look back, um, uh, the liver is a is an organ which is highly reproductive. So Re regenerative, you, highly regenerative. If you cut yeah. parts of the liver out, and you can get three quarters of it out and you can, still grow regenerative exactly. liver. Theoretically, you could take the liver of a 90-year-old person, transplant that in a child, theoretically, yeah. because the liver doesn't really age like right. other organs. Right, right. And part of the reasons is besides, <laughs> right. <laughs> part of the reasons besides, of course, the uh, the lower blood pressure in the liver system hmm. is the abundance of stem cells. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Huh. So some I, I get this feeling that some. One of the breakthroughs is going to come from some sort of surprising place like that. They're going to have some observation about a stem cell that exists in nature in a organ system and something's going to get observed about its function and what it does. And it's going to open a door to a deeper understanding that you'll be able to exploit in something like the heart, right? I mean, that's kind of how science progresses. Or is there something – you tell me. What, what's exciting you? What, how do you well, see this? Well, it is. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. keep, keep in mind that – uh, we do a lot of empiric medicine, meaning, I mean, we do what we are used uh, 
to do since many years, and we do it because it works. Yeah, yeah. Even though we don't understand it, look at certain yeah. well, drugs. Medicine's you know, always been that way. <laughs> look at yeah. anesthesia. Yeah, drugs like propofol, which we're using to induce anesthesia. Nobody knows how it really yeah. works up to this day, and yeah. it's used every single day yeah. in different settings. So I, I agree. I mean, we all <laughs> wait for that breakthrough. But years ago, um, people used growth factors. Mm. Um, FGF, VEGF, other growth factors, to inject those in, in damaged tissues with the idea or they are angiogenic, meaning they built small capillaries and arterioles, so smaller blood vessels, and by thus the tissue will be provided with more oxygen and can repair itself. However, those many of those studies were somewhat disappointing, and then we all thought maybe that's not enough. Maybe we need the growth factors plus something like stem cells. At this point, we still need, we need probably another inducting factor, another substance, which tells the cells, okay, if you're injected here, go there and right. do that uh, repair mechanism. Right, that's sort of... And I'm been, waiting for that, actually. Right, that's kind of what we've been talking around. Is, is right. that what's exciting you, that you're getting, you're getting close to that kind of thing? Well, I don't know, honestly, how close we are. Okay. Um, the, the research is ongoing, as you know, and, and one thing for your listeners, I think needs to be uh, mentioned also in that context is that um, stem cell therapy is not an FDA-approved um, item, basically. It's FDA-regulated, meaning the FDA watches what everybody does who uses stem cells. But um, um, most people in the larger academic institutions use stem cells in the frame of large clinical trials where it's often placebo-controlled. Mm -hmm. The problem for us often is that many of our patients don't fit into the trials because they might be too sick, That's too Or they're desperate for something, yeah. They're desperate for, for other measures yeah. and um, they, they, they have good results. So why not providing the care then if it's, if it's a right fit for an individual patient if they improve? Given the current state of um, clinical application of stem cells, who's the perfect patient that, for whom you see the best outcomes? That's a difficult question, but I mean, we have seen uh, enormous results in any kind of acute injuries, whether it's in the heart, in the frame of acute heart attacks. Is there a locality of that injury that's better than others? Well, it's, I think it's, in general, it's easier if you can um, apply the cells directly to the, 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 the area of so right, injury. So right-sided injuries are easier because you can get in there? Well, easier. Uh, well, a little easier, but it's the same thing. The, the joints, of course, you mentioned the orthopedic applications, of course, they are ideal because um, they're easy accessible, much easier yeah. than any other organs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but, uh, but in your field, cardiac, I mean, I'm curious what, what would be the ideal patient? Well, the, the patients we are most interested in are those with chronic heart failure for a couple of reasons. One reason is that that's the growing entity in cardiovascular medicine. Patients live longer, they the baby boomers, which is us, basically survive much longer uh, different cardiac events. But more and more patients develop heart failure. And there are certain treatments. Despite the treatments, patients uh, need further therapies because they end up in the hospitals over and over again. And not everybody can get a heart transplantation, of course. So that's a little bit uh, of uh, – that's basically the, the largest population we are looking at. And um, – it's kind of easy to use this population because there is not many other options besides a standard medical regimen or to treat that. Tra transplant or medicine. Or, or transplant and, at and the end of the medicine, options. though, again, I'm not 
not up on the absolute current literature on this, but medicine can certainly improve quality of life and symptom control, but it doesn't really affect longevity that much, right? Well, in heart failure, in it heart does. Failure. I in mean, there, there, there's certain medications. I guess like, it different, depends what the source of the heart failure is. Right, of course, right. So, better blockers, yeah. ACE inhibitors, and so on yeah. do actually prolong life. ACE How, inhibitors do too, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, These but, do anyway. <laughs> but those patients still end up in the hospital, yeah. many of them. Yeah. Um, on a recurrent base, uh, we have patients who are readmitted every month, basically for end-stage heart failures, and it's a bit, uh, uh, it's it's a kind of a disappointing thing to see those patients. And keep in mind that's also um, a financial issue because mm. the payers, uh, the insurance companies, really don't want to pay for recurrent readmissions to the really? hospital. Yeah. Medicare, even well that. You try to avoid readmissions because it's it's very cost costly for the insurers. So um, and those patients do suffer chronically. So they are fatigued. They have breathing problems, sometimes chest pains. They have peripheral edema, and we adjust their Lasix and their beta blockers and their other medications. But we are still looking, especially in this population, for something which can, in some way, improve the contractile function, the strengths of the heart in order to improve their not only their longevity yeah, but yeah, especially should, their quality of we life. Should, we should define for people listening that heart failure is pump failure. It's, we, people think of heart failure, they confuse it with sudden cardiac death. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the global dysfunction of the muscles so it can't pump blood forward effectively and fluid backs up behind it and doesn't get stuff effectively out to things like the kidneys. And that's the heart failure thing that it, you said it was increasingly common. Did you say that? Did I hear you oh, say absolutely. that? Absolutely. I yeah. mean, there's at least 6 yeah. million people diagnosed in the U.S. at any time with chronic heart failure. Yeah. There's approximately 250,000 to 500,000 new diagnoses per year in the United States and uh, 250 to 500,000 people die per year as a result of heart failure. And that's because we're living longer and we're not dying of heart vascular disease so much. We're getting the injuries and then surviving them and they end up with some heart failure later Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, our friends at Blinds Galore, big friends and family event coming a week from now. Everything will be up to 50% off. That's right. We're just a week away. Get your free samples now so you'll, you'll be ready when their biggest sale of the year kicks off Wednesday, March 21st. They believe you deserve high-quality, custom-built blinds and shades. That's exactly what you'll get. That's what Corolla gets, what I get. We've got them. They walk you through every step of the process. Everything at Blinds Galore is 100% custom, hand-built from scratch, created to your precise measurements just for you. They fit perfectly. They look like they belong in your home. And they have over 15 years of experience selling blinds and shades online. And they've covered over 2 million windows and counting. It's crazy. They have their, their own expert team located down in San Diego, they can wait on you every step of the way. They're available. They make it easy. They do it right from your home, whether you need more privacy to sleep or cool down or just fix up a room. Blinds Galore has exactly what you're looking for and at an unbelievable deal, especially during this friends and family sale coming up. Blinds Galore makes it easy to get the 100% custom window treatments you've always wanted. Check out BlindsGalore.com during their big friends and family sale when it starts on March 21st and let them know Dr. Drew sent you. That is BlindsGalore.com. Trust me, you will not be disappointed with these guys. When you're looking to buy a car, you want to make sure you're getting real pricing on actual inventory. A lot of times that is not the case. People configure cars online only later to find out they are not available. Now with TrueCar, of course I'm talking about TrueCar, you get real pricing on actual inventory. 
This is not pricing offered by TrueCar, but pricing from an actual dealer. And not just any dealer, but a TrueCar certified dealer. This is a carefully curated network of dealers committed to transparency and offering you a competitive market price. Yeah, you know, and we talk about all the time. Using TrueCar, you can easily find the car you want. Next, TrueCar, TrueCar.com or TrueCar app will show you what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for. Now you know what a fair price is, so you can feel confident. Over 3 million cars have been sold to TrueCar users by the TrueCar Certified Dealer Network. Over 3,000 TrueCar Certified Dealers are available nationwide. You will get to work directly with a TrueCar Certified Dealer that you may contact with. And TrueCar users are more likely to enjoy a faster, better buying experience when they contact a TrueCar Certified Dealer. And on average, you can expect to save over $3,000 off MSRP. Once you register, you'll see a real price on actual inventory. Hook up with that TrueCar certified dealer. Have a better buying experience. TrueCar, go to the TrueCar.com or TrueCar app. Do what I'm telling you. It is Patient Safety Awareness Week. And did you know that millions of people prescribed opioid pain pills for surgery pain or at risk of addiction? Many people keep taking prescription opioids long after they recover from a surgery or an injury. Misusing prescription opioids can lead to addiction and in some cases overdose or death. There are other pain management options out there that can often be very appropriate and as effective or more so. Before surgery, ask your doctor about pain management options that best fit your needs. For more information, please visit womeningovernment.org. That is womenindovernment.org. So, uh, again, the things that are exciting you, I'm interested in what, what you know, what because uh, I guess I, – I, Medicine has become so frustrating in so many ways these days, right? And you absolutely. agree with me on that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's hard yeah. to find things that inspire and keep us, you know, really enthusiastic about going forward. And other than the biology, which is fascinating to you, you and me, what about what's helping people? What What is it that, you know, is, are there things that you're excited about and you feel like you're really going to be able to help people with? Again, um, in, other than what we've in, talked in, about, in, right? in, in most cases, it's really to improve anyone's symptoms. Yeah. Which means quality of life. Yeah. So um, I give you an example. Years ago, for example, we worked on uh, the treatment of sexual dysfunction in heart failure patients. And when we tried to do some studies, the, the, the company representatives told us, oh, heart failure patients, they, they don't need sexual activity. I mean, they're way too sick. That was a long time ago, though. That was a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, that's Absolutely. when that was probably kind of true. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, I mean, sexual function, for example, is a major aspect of anyone's quality of life, yeah, as you yeah. know very well. So uh, nobody looked until a couple of years ago really in the aspects of how do we treat sexual dysfunction in patients with heart failure. So this is a group of patients where we inject stem cells, for example. In, with yeah, in the genitalia, in the penis? or in Directly the, in, yeah. in the penis. Um, <clears throat> we even inject in the vagina in women, um, G-spot mm. injection with stem cells, but that's a different story, if you wish. Um, but the uh, penile injections, for example, with stem cells lead, um, in our experience, to a significant improvement of sexual satisfaction. It doesn't mean that patients don't have yeah, sound, some degree of rectal dysfunction. That sounds neuro again. Because, <laughs> because satisfaction is different than sort of you know what I mean? <laughs> the, well, you know how it's measured. actual tumescence or actual functioning that's measurable. It's like right. I feel better about it. A lot well, of well I mean like there's that. there's some more or less objective measures, of course. Uh, Is that also objective. improving? That's yeah. also objective stuff's improving too? Well, we did uh, 
ultrasound studies, Doppler studies okay. of blood flow in the penis okay. with improvement. Okay. And um, as you know, people use standardized questionnaires like the International Index for Erectile Dysfunction, yeah. where people state basically yeah. how their erection works and or how good or bad it is. And um, if you if you score that and and if you analyze a relatively larger group of patients, then you see a significant improvement mm. overall. Again, no cure. But a significant improvement. And other than that, direct into the into the genet- into the penis stuff, are we talking when the other stem cell applications? Were you still mostly talking about inter- intravenous use of stem cells, or are you doing a lot of direct applications? Well, we do uh, a lot of direct applications intratecally, meaning into in your brain the, in the spinal channel in patients. What for does that do with heart example, it's nothing to do with heart. It's a okay. different group of okay. patients. Right. But we have a couple of well, patients, tell you about this. for this example, thing. With, with ALS, Lou okay. Gehrig's disease. You know oh, so you're doing is. more than just cardiac stuff. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, let's yeah. talk about that. Yeah. yeah, so ALS, go ahead. So ALS and other neurodegenerative diseases, like um, uh, Parkinson's disease, okay. Alzheimer's dementia even. Um, everybody has seen those initial videos of uh, patients with Parkinson's, with the typical tremor, yeah. the... the uh, shuffled um, uh, uh, walking habits and so on with a significant um, more more or less improvement basically of those kind of symptoms. So less tremor, better uh, walking abilities and so on. In ALS patients, and that's more anecdotal than really scientifically, statistically proven, we had a couple of patients just recently where we injected stem cells directly intraticularly into the spinal channel um, with improvement of their motor abilities. So patients who couldn't move their fingers or hands could move their fingers or hands. Again, it's not a cure for ALS, but it's an improvement of the well-being of the patient because their motor function improved. What kind of stem cells? Well, different uh, sources in, in those cases, we use usually umbilical-derived stem cells combined with the patient's own stem cells hmm. and often combined with placenta-derived and, stem and cells. And the patient's own the adipose or where are they coming from? Well, different sources, uh, bone marrow, adipose we hardly use anymore. How do you get the uh, bone marrow? Do you have to do a bone marrow biopsy? Yeah, you do. Bone bi- marrow aspiration? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I do bone Ouch. marrow biopsy. Sometimes we just use PRP, which is blood-derived stem cells, uh, uh, play, uh, platelet-rich plasma, as yeah. you know. Um, well, for the FDA, you're not allowed to combine different substances so, right. um, because then you would create a drug, and we, we don't want to do that. So it, it has to be separate injections, basically. Do you have to? Is it a high wire act from the standpoint of legal and FDA and liability and all this? Well, I mean, we have uh, in our practice IRB-approved studies, meaning… So does everybody um, have to go into a study? More or less. Not everybody has to legally, but it is often easier if you have an IRB-approved protocol, meaning some outside experts, stem cell experts, have looked at what we are doing and they approve it in in the, the sense of protecting human rights, of course. Do you use different IRBs depending on different studies you're doing, like Absolutely. UCLA, SC, whatever? Well, well um, it, it is not – we're not using institutional IRBs because those studies are done outside the academic institutions. So we do them in our institute basically. You have your own IRB? We don't have our own IRB, but we use commercial available IRBs. There's several uh, free IRBs out there, and um, it's actually not so easy to get an IRB approval sometimes because 
um, especially in California, you have to have stem cell experts on the IRB sitting to evaluate your protocols. Hmm. But um, it, it makes it more reliable. It makes it easier to analyze later on if you have structured protocols. And it doesn't mean these are studies where we uh, do placebo-controlled treatments right. because right. you cannot really charge patients for placebo treatments. Right. In terms of the intrathecal, which is the central nervous system application of stem cells, did, did any have you ever been sort of shocked or surprised by results you've gotten? And if so, what, well, what we are we are surprised on a daily basis. I can tell what, you what that. Stands, yeah. What remind? Tell me something that stood out for you. Cause well, well, we had a, a relatively young patient who was uh, thirty. 32 years old, a while ago, was sitting in a wheelchair and could not really move anything except his mouth. His ALS? Uh, was also an ALS patient, yeah. And, um, now, ALS you know, is a spectrum of different disorders, though, too, right? There's, absolutely, and it's a progressive disease, but, as you know. So patients over time get often worse with, with increased ages. And, uh, and, and that was actually one of the first patients we ever treated. Um, and um, uh, astonishingly, the patient could move his fingers and his hand after a couple of months. And again, he's not coming out of the wheelchair. He's not. We're not curing any underlying disease, but obviously there's some there's something, degree yeah. of maybe regenerative power or anti-inflammatory, whatever something. it is. You know. Do you have a neurological team that you work with? Absolutely, yeah. and we have a, a, a pain specialist who does the intraticular injections. I don't do them personally. Um, uh, but we have a team of, uh, we have a pulmonologist, a gastroenterologist, we are, have are two there, gynecologists. Are there pain applications? Is that? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That'd be an interesting yeah, application yeah. for it. Well, the pain applications are the ones which astonish us probably the most. That makes sense to me. Yeah. yeah. The other big group is, of course, and that's how we started out, was a patient with peripheral vascular disease. I remember several patients were actually scheduled for leg amputations. Sheesh. Um, this, Above is, this, the is your, this is your angiogenesis stuff, right? Right, yeah. right. And, uh, and endothelial patients factors. In, in those cases, they refused the amputations, uh, left actually the hospital where they were admitted a day before the planned amputation came to us. We injected them. And I remember one gentleman in his uh, early 70s who was in a wheelchair for years and had gangrenous uh, toes and was scheduled for a bilateral uh, above-knee amputation because of horrible perfusion um, in his, both of his legs. He refused the surgery. We injected him with stem cells. And it took a couple of months, but the same patient is walking now. I mean, walking with a, with a walker. Um, and he did lose toes because they were gangrenous, so they had to amputate, uh, amputate um, the, the toes, the, the but not the leg, yeah. not the leg. Interesting. And we have probably over the last couple of years... Ten patients like that who we saved legs, and and that's that's the most rewarding uh, results we have seen so far. Where should people go if they want to read more about your work, and where should they go if they are interested in some sort of form of treatment or assessment and treatment? Well, uh, uh, we don't do much advertising, honestly, because the people who do a lot of advertising are often not that legit. Oh, tell me about um, it. I, that's that's but that's so, kind of why I um, like people to know where you well, are. Oh, people can find <laughs> us on on the web. Of course, we have uh, several offices. One in, in Culver City. We, so, just um, maybe so you Google your name. Yeah, Ernst, they can Google Ernst me, Doctor Ernst von Schwartz. Ernst is E R N S T von Schwartz V O N S C H W A R Z. No, not T Z, just A R Z. Yeah, the companies we are using is HortStem and NewStem, uh, which are our stem cell companies. We even have a stem cell company for animals, for dogs and cats. 
Um, Crazy. Well, we have, of course, uh, the veteran, uh, the, the vets do that. I'm, I, sometimes I do inject dogs, but not that frequently. It's for, probably for pain. For pain especially arthritis. Issue. Yeah, soft issue. Uh, yeah. And a lot of people come for purely what they call anti-aging reasons, even though that's really not a medical term in my opinion. Is that, but people uh, believe in, in the regenerative power of stem cells and that they might live longer or appear younger. We do uh, injections in the face oftentimes with um, enormous results. Um, we even have two gynecologists in our team who treat infertility with stem cells. That's crazy. With direct injections in the ovaries that has been published what? by a group in, in, in China what not would long that ago. What mechanism be? Well, recruit basically uh, eggs, which are uh, senescent basically uh, or quiescent into uh, the ovaries. So I can't, um, even, I can't fathom a mechanism other than anti-inflammatory. Well, again, I, I wouldn't comment on that scientifically. Yeah, I'm just yeah. mentioning it. It's, it's, it's done. Been reported. It's been reported. And there's some reports, especially from China, that this might be successful. So Do you have I'm anybody from plastics sure. helping you with the facial injections? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah, we have two plastic surgeons. We do some of them on our own too. Um, um, and we have two plastic surgeons in the team. And are, are you, are you, do you come under any criticism? Because it's, it's all, you know, this is the way to do it, which is highly skilled people. They're highly trained doing it with some scientific basis for it, even though it's still the Wild West. I understand that. But do people get critical or do your peers get critical? Well, of course, there's a lot of uh, other, other criticism. Than the, other than the usual there. critique of yeah. shooting down science, which is yeah. part of what science yeah. is. Uh, of course, there's a lot. Uh, one, one thing is one of the reasons why we really don't do much advertising compared to many other groups is uh, we want to we want to stay scientific. We don't yeah, wanna, I get that. We don't want to appear commercial. Um, but it's a big business out there, and um, my concern with that is that a lot of people who use stem cells really don't know the science, have never done the animal studies, have never published anything in the field. Um, and we try to stick to our protocols and uh, and be more scientific for several reasons, and one of the reasons is we don't want to be compared really to, to the commercial people. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, um, it, it has to become commercial in the future, in my opinion, because it is a treatment option which is not really lobbied by any industry um, because the industry doesn't make money out of it. So there's no big pharma behind it at this point that might change in the future. But I can imagine a, a venture capitalist coming in and creating a new entity. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. I'm, especially with the scaffolding, with the tissue engineering, I think yeah. that opens uh, interesting new doors for the industry too, but they are not there yet. Wouldn't, but we get a lot of criticism. It seems, like the, seems like the 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 more important step would be to somehow get the third party payers in, in the game. <laughs> Cause then, then, you know, then more people can access the treatment if it uh, really does help people. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, at this point, of course, none of those treatments is paid by any insurance company no. and it will be <laughs> at least several, several years. Is it before. expensive? It is expensive. Yeah. yeah. The cells are expensive. The preparation, we need a technician, of course, um, it is kind of expensive. I've got a terrible shoulder. I keep thinking about PRP. For come by shoulder. next week. Well, how much? How how much? Can you say it? Do you want to say it or no? Well, you I mean, don't have I, to, I'm, I'm not honestly. I don't make the prices. Yeah. So um, my business uh, partner Karen uh, Mulholland Angeles is sitting actually outside. She makes she makes the price. But I, I'm I, over. I, I happy really, to inject I really you. want yeah. that because I know it would work. I, I, it will work. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. almost sure it would work. I would be very no. It's exactly that kind of thing that would would lend itself to this. And I, Absolutely. And you might yeah. be able to do it with platelets and not with uh, 
stem cell. Well, we se. probably would do both. Do both. Yeah. So. Not 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 together, of course, because of FDA regulations. But we would do it separately. Yes. So you, yeah. you found you found you do what do you do one see if it works and then do the other or you just plan a back to back kind of. Well, back to back. Back to back. Yeah. yeah. Well, Dr. Schwartz, von Schwartz, it's been very interesting. This is this is a fascinating area to me, and I, and, I'm, and I and I thank you for certainly allowing me to think out loud and struggle with it because because I, I, whenever I hear about it and read about it, I just start my basic biology kicks in. I start trying to trying to really understand what this is and what we're doing and how it works. And but it, but I agree with you. It, it will be something. It will be something, and it already is something for for a lot of people. I, I'm sure for a lot yeah. of people. Yeah, and a and lot of patients, uh, you know, yeah. a, a lot of us, go, you know, we go into medicine not just because we're scientists or biologists, but we want to help people be, be better, suffer less, and uh, certainly this is doing that, right? I, I completely agree. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, and maybe I, one I think day. it's it's it has a future, an enormous future potential in medicine. And uh, again, I mean, at the end of the day, it's about symptom improvement, improvement of quality of life rather than cure of incurable diseases. At this moment, but it it carries this fantastic prospect of cure. You know, it's sort of, it's sort of possibly, possibly, right? It's, it's. Well, we'll talk in two years again, and then uh, we'll see where we are. If we, if we're somewhere different in two years, I'm very excited to talk to you. If we're somewhere different five or ten years, I'll be excited Mm -hmm. because this is complex stuff. So. Appreciate you coming in, uh, and uh, Gary. You have any questions or anything? Did this make sense to you from a from a layperson's? It, a lot it's, of it it's did. Fantastic. I'm not, not going to say that I followed every single thing. I am, I benefit from having listened to a few other podcasts on the topic. Oh, no kidding! Uh, it's interesting, You're interested. It's in interesting as shit to me. Yeah, I don't yeah. claim to understand it, but I am. I mean, as someone well, who it will be living his life for the next forty or fifty years, <laughs> like I am. Very Hopefully. optimistic and hopeful that you know this could. Well, this this conversation we had is I felt different than one of the than what I mostly hear about. You know, mostly people talk about just you know, the application and the results. Not I don't hear much about the biology and the science and the and the. I just don't hear the real. The real I agree. Most yeah. of the stuff I've heard is about it's it's mostly athletes and stuff yeah, like it's that. Like, right. It's, it's about, like here's what you here's can do. Here's the problem. Right. Here's how they fixed it. Exactly. Here's the modality. But there's not a lot about kind of the future and what's going on behind the and, scenes. And what this is, because because again, unless unless we struggle with what this is, it can run amok. <laughs> you know. Uh, and, and that mean then that's the same thing as you saying stick with the science. That's really what stick uh, with the science. Uh, don't overreact. And there's a yeah. lot of unanswered questions. Uh, thank you very much. Pleasure. Have you really a privilege. Thank, thank you. you so much. And uh, we will uh, look to talk to you in two years, as you said, and see where we are. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you so much. We'll see you all next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Mm-hmm.